Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese-American perspective. Here, we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S.-Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese-Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Politicus. I'm Angela Samos, and I'm here with my most esteemed, awesome... No, no, that's my line. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Co-host Denise Borges. Hi, Denise. <laughs> Hello, and how is uh, the uh, most amazing and phenomenal? Oh, new word. Cha- chairperson in the entire universe and beyond. <laughs> I'm well, thanks, Denise. Good. Tyler, Good. I hope you enjoyed the little inside joke that of Denise course, and I yeah. have here. So, welcome, Tyler Dos Santos Tam. You are the honorary consul in Hawaii, uh, honorary consul of Portugal in Hawaii. Newly appointed last year. Uh, or the year before, correct? Um, well, and, then year, also, yeah. and then also recently appointed head of the Democratic Party uh, committee in Hawaii, correct? That is correct. Yes. So we're super excited to have you for multiple reasons. One, you're the first person in Hawaii that we've had on this, from Hawaii that we've had on the podcast, and certainly the first head of a political party committee. And so that, you know, we're interested to hear about that. But just generally, because we both have met you and you're a great guy and we're so excited to have you be a part of the community and, and be honorary consul. And I feel like we just collectively are now better connected to Hawaii now than we ever have been. And so we're, we really enjoyed that. And so why don't we just um, get started by you telling us a little bit about yourself and, you know, your involvement with the community and kind of how you got to this position of being honorary consul. Sure. Well, I think... Um just like everyone else in the Portuguese community, I owe a lot to my grandma. I think every <laughs> every Portuguese uh, throughout the world um, owes a whole lot to their uh, to their grandma. And she was the one who was very insistent that me and my brothers know about our Portuguese heritage. She volunteered for years at the Portuguese Genealogical Society of Hawaii and did all the research. She she and my grandpa visited Portugal. They uh, wrote to you know researchers there. They traced all the genealogy back to the you know 1400s or whatever the case may be. So it was always very important in our family that we knew that we were Portuguese. But in addition to being part Portuguese, I'm also part Filipino and Spanish and Chinese, um, and that's very reflective of the mix of people that came to Hawaii in the late 1800s and early 1900s to work. And we'll get to that part uh, a little bit later. But for my family, my great uh, grandfather and his father, so my great-great-grandfather, um, came to Hawaii in 1899 from Madeira. Back in Madeira, they were watchmakers, but at the time, there was a, uh, a grape blight, and so they weren't producing wine, uh, times were very tough, and there were um, a lot of folks who were attracted to uh, emigrate to other places around the world, whether it was Brazil or uh, California, or even Hawaii, and they, um, they and three hundred plus other Portuguese at that time um, got on a boat and went to Hawaii. And there were there were probably about a dozen ships that had gone to Hawaii before. And really, if you've ever been to Hawaii and been to Madeira, I think you'd be struck at how similar the just topography is. Um, they're both you know islands and kind of that tropical subtropical region. 
you, you know, you plant something in the ground, it just flourishes and grows. And um, so a lot of them ended up in Hawaii. And there's a little bit of an interesting history of uh, the Portuguese coming to Hawaii. At the, at the time, they were bringing a lot of folks from Japan and China and the Philippines. And there is a, there's sort of a little bit of a, a racial uh, strategy as to why they brought the Portuguese. They wanted, um, you know, more Europeans. They wanted people who, um, at least for the white, you know, plantation owners, they they thought they, they wanted some more white folks that they that could be managers that could manage the the other immigrants and the Portuguese kind of fit the bill. They knew how to ride horses. There was there was sugarcane um, being grown in Madeira at the time, and so they were already familiar with sort of how sugarcane grows and uh, how to do all of that. Um, and by the end, I think there were about 16,000 or so that came from uh, primarily from Madeira and the Azores to Hawaii. Um, now, going back to um, my background, a little bit about me. So my, as I mentioned, my grandma made sure we were very proud of our uh, Portuguese heritage. And so when I went to college, I went to Yale, I um, took Portuguese L1 in my freshman year and just sort of fell in love with it. And by my junior year, I think I was talking with my dean and the um, advisor of the program, we realized, hey, like I have enough classes to tutor in it. And Yale, the, the Portuguese program is very small. There haven't been that many students. I think I was, there was only one other Portuguese major who had graduated ahead of us, ahead of my class, um, who was also from Hawaii. Um, and that's sort of a, a small world kind of thing. And in my class, there was another student who also was in the Portuguese majoring in Portuguese. Um, so we became the second and third um, to graduate from Yale with a Portuguese degree. That's not to say, of course, lots of other students do, but they, you know, do it as they, they study Portuguese to maybe go to Brazil or study, you know, anthropology or some other, you know, type of thing. So that was pretty neat. I, uh, Yale sent me on this um, research trip to Brazil, which I thought was really fun. Um, while I was at Yale, I uh, got to visit Portugal as well. Ended up coming back to Hawaii. My class graduated during the recession um, at the, kind of the tail end of the Great Recession. And so it was kind of hard to find uh, a job in, I thought I would be in New York or Washington, D.C., but I ended up coming back home, which ended up being one of the best things I could have done. Um, and, and since coming back here, I got involved in the Portuguese community. And the my predecessor, um, Dr. John Henry Felix, is is a legend and he uh, just turned 90 about two months ago and he has been serving he had been serving as the uh, honor consul of portugal for at that point almost 40 years maybe more and the uh new uh, consul in san francisco said well you know you should probably start thinking about uh transition plan and they they she flew out to hawaii maria joan and uh, wanted to find somebody young and somebody kind of dynamic and from, you know, involved in the community. And we had lunch. Uh, she asked all of the uh, elders in the community who they'd recommend. And uh, I was glad to have been recommended. And it's really been, it's really been awesome. And um, in my current life, uh, as I, I have a my own small business. I do some consulting work. I get to go between the islands for different clients and projects. And so having that ability has been really neat to plug into what the Portuguese community is doing um, on all the other mm -hmm. islands throughout the state, not just in Honolulu. 
And we can probably talk about that a little bit later, but that's a good summary of kind of me and how I ended up uh, as our console. And uh, how did you transition into this new elected position of going to be the head of the uh, Democratic Party for Hawaii? Because uh, as Angela uh, said on the outtake of the show, um, of our podcast and that we know of, and I did a little bit of research not in-depth research, I should say, but a little bit of research. Uh, first of all, as Angela mentioned, we have we have not interviewed anyone who is a statewide political chair for any political party uh, in the United States uh, that's of Portuguese background. We just don't have one right now other than yourself, and that's fantastic. Um, and I'd been involved. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not as old as uh, Councilor Felix, but I'm going to get there, uh, hopefully. <laughs> and, um, and, and so um, in my almost 62 years, in the 40 some involvement in the community, I haven't come across a party chair, whether it be Democrat or Republican, at a statewide level. We've come across quite a few fe- folks, including in my neck of the woods here, um, of uh, and not tons, but a few who are county, you know, or regional chairs for the, the or district uh, uh, chairs for the D- Democratic Party or for the Republican Party. But it's quite an honor for the Portuguese American community. And uh, how did that come about? Yeah, so I've been, um, since I came back home to Hawaii in 2010, uh, I've been uh, a volunteer on a lot of different political campaigns. Um, Most of them were Democratic campaigns. And so, you know, signed up as a Democratic Party member and quickly became uh, a leader in the Young Democrats. It was a group uh, when I first uh, came back home was kind of, you know, it's just sort of a social organization would have you know, we would go uh, to happy hour, you know, ask somebody to do a, a little guest speaking thing and then and then go to happy hour. But, <laughs> um, you know, we took that and and uh, as sort of leader, we we grew it and ended up doing, you know, trainings and helping our, our young candidates really blossom. And um, just through more heavy involvement, got to know um, a lot of folks within the party. And uh, I ran for party chair in 2016. I had at that point had been working with a group of um, labor unions and of course labor and the democratic party have a long history together and didn't quite make it, but it was a good opportunity to, um, you know, learn and, and talk with people and sort of share a vision for the party. I ran for Honolulu city council in 2018 um, unsuccessfully, but also same thing. It was just sort of an opportunity to share some ideas and get to know my neighbors and get to know um, a lot of the other party volunteers. And this year, in the midst of the pandemic, I think that the party was sort of looking for new, fresh leadership, and um, but also somebody with sort of a steady hand who had been involved really heavily and, and produced results before. And so um, I ended up running our delegates statewide. There are 616 delegates um, throughout the state that are elected at the grassroots level. And so, you know, we launched our campaign and I guess in May or so, and um, you know, been chasing after all the delegates, and uh, got elected. It's a whole lot of work, and I, um, I, I knew that coming in. I'm still shocked uh, <laughs> how quickly my calendar uh, fills up with Democratic Party things, um, and it's unpaid, so it really is a labor of love, I guess, and it really is an honor to be a leader of a political party. Um, in this country, I, I might, I think I'm the youngest, uh, at least Democratic Party chair currently serving. Um, Oklahoma's chair in the previous term uh, was in her 20s, so she had me beat. 
But here in Hawaii, we have had a number of um, at least Democratic Party chairs who have been uh, of Portuguese descent. In fact, my cousin, she's my cousin on the Chinese side, not on <laughs> not on the Portuguese side, but she's half Portuguese. Uh, Stephanie Ohigashi was um, the chair in 2012 to 2014. And I think if you go back beyond that, I'm sure there have been uh, some others. Um, but, you know, we uh, the Portuguese are very involved here. Um, but you may not know it because, uh, like me, um, a lot of them are mixed. So our, uh, for example, our Senate president, uh, Ron Kochi, is half Portuguese, but you would never, you know, know it because um, his last name is Japanese. Um, there's, you know, a lot of other examples. In fact, there's, uh, I hope you have them on the show. There's, there's kind of a neat thing that's going on um, here on Oahu where we have a state house race where it's two young Portuguese candidates uh, they're both under 35 uh, running against each oh, very, other. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you get us that information? We need to do a podcast with them. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. do that. Yeah. So can you give our listeners just a, a sense of what a, a, a party chair does at the state level? I mean, are you just are you sort of coordinating events and trying to get support and just give a better sense for our listeners what that means? Sure. So the, um, the party chair, um, and this is probably true for every party chair throughout the country, whether it's on the Democratic side or Republican side, you're really the, the CEO of the party. Um, your job is to make sure that uh, things are running well. Um, we have a small staff uh, within our office um, here in Honolulu, and it's, you know, making sure that the staff is taking care of, you know, the members and the members' questions. Um, we have, uh, there's 12 standing committees within the party, and so the chair in conjunction with our vice chair and our county level chairs. Um, we, we make appointments to those committees who make sure that they're running, that they're um, producing, you know, the, the deliverables that they, um, that they owe us, whether that's, um, you know, our campaign plan or our fundraising plan, uh, et cetera. Um, a lot of my time is spent dealing with our um, elected officials and candidates and making sure that they know what's going on and um, vice versa. Um, and it's also just uh, making sure that the public and our members, you know, know why the party's relevant, why it's important. So we just, uh, I sent in an op-ed to the newspaper last week, and we're going to keep on just trying to get our message out there. One thing that I should mention are, so Stephanie, who I just mentioned was the previous state chair, is uh, continues to be the uh, Maui County chair. Um, so she's very involved. And of course, we have uh, a good number of our state legislators that are Portuguese. So talk to them. We, In addition to being the party chair, I'm also president of the Portuguese Chamber of Commerce in Honolulu. So we try to invite all of those folks to our events just to get uh, a little bit of um, you know, awareness or maybe notoriety, uh, whatever you might, uh, however you might describe it. So it's uh, definitely a sort of interconnected um, you know, network of, um, of Portuguese here, and I'm glad to be uh, one of their leaders. And how do... How is the port? Let's take it back to the honorary consul and 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 your involvement with the Portuguese American community through the different organizations. Um, you, you've mentioned, of course, through your family, and which is the the history of the Portuguese to Hawaii, whether it be mostly from Madeira and the Azores, as you mentioned, um, and uh, really intermixed well. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's one of the success stories of a community that actually became part of uh, the. Um, 
of the melting pot that was Hawaii with all the different uh, ethnicities uh, represented by yourself and many other who are part Portuguese and then, you know, another part of another two or three different ethnicities. How has those relationships, and so my question is, two, is twofold. First of all, how has the the Portuguese community progressed over the years that you've seen um, from your grandmother's uh, involvement? And second of all, how in the current climate, you know, of racial tensions and everything else that we have in the country, how has the Portuguese community, uh, how have they been perceived and worked through these racial uh, tensions that, that we are all living? Sure. Um, well, to the first uh, question, I think Hawaii, like many other places, um, one phenomenon, and, and this isn't exclusive to the Portuguese community, but a, a lot of the groups that perpetuate um, culture from you know different homelands around the world, they tend to be um, populated kind of more by the older folks. You know, they've been doing the festas for you know decades, and um, they they keep on you know doing that and organizing it, which is wonderful. Um, but one of the challenges has always been bringing in younger folks and getting them involved. So with the Portuguese Chamber, um, which was founded in 1979, we have a little joke that some of the board members have been around since then and stayed on the entire time, which is wonderful. But now they're kind of looking to retire. So um, when I got involved and, and was asked to uh, become their president, one of the things that I insisted on was bringing in new board members. And so now of our 14 board members, uh, six of them are under 35. Um, and we've, uh, you know, an changed things up a little Congratulations. bit. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We're, we've done some uh, events that have attracted kind of more younger folks. We did a wine tasting uh, last year featuring, you know, Portuguese wine and a little bit of uh, what I would say is uh, Portuguese fusion cuisine, just because it's kind of hard to get some of the ingredients here. So we, you know, uh, make it work with local ingredients, but with maybe Portuguese flavor. So that was, that was something that was really neat to be able to, uh, you know, bring in some younger folks. Um, but all throughout the state, you know, there's, I think there is a, a revival of interest thanks to things like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. People are, you know, finding out that they're part Portuguese in some way. There's just backing up. There's a little bit of, um, being Portuguese in Hawaii is, <laughs> It's something that people are either very, very proud of, or there's like a tinge of, there's a little bit of, um, I wouldn't call it racism, but the Portuguese were often the butt of jokes uh, on the plantation because they were managers. So all the other, you know, ethnic groups, you know, they, they would see the Portuguese guy coming on a horse and they would, you know, crack a joke about how mean he is or how, you know, inept he is or whatever, you know, and, and it became sort of this trope. Um, uh, the Portuguese are kind of the butt of, of jokes. So there's, there's this interesting phenomenon where people kind of would hide that or they would, you know, say that they're Spanish instead of Portuguese. But, um, for the, you know, for most of Portuguese, they're, they're very proud. And, you know, we still see that statewide. One thing that's really exciting is on Maui, they, the Portuguese community teamed up with the Puerto Rican community and built a community center, um, which they share. It's called the Heritage Hall. Um, they just actually unveiled this beautiful mural um, that showcases, uh, half of it showcases Portuguese immigration, the other half showcases uh, immigration from Puerto Rico. Um, on Hawaii Island in Hilo, they are fundraising to build a community center there. They've raised over a million dollars and they've started construction. 
Uh, the pandemics uh, made their fundraising a little bit of a challenge, but they're persevering. Um, and that's really amazing to see. Um, and over on Kauai, which is an island that uh, it's the smallest of the main islands uh, in terms of population, uh, they, the community there has gone through some tough times. Uh, Kauai was hit by a hurricane in 1992, and that really just um, messed up a lot of the, I think, community organizations. And since then, they've kind of struggled to, um, to get organized. But in the last few years, um, there's been a little bit of re revival. They've carefully maintained some of the uh, Portuguese stone ovens that were in people's backyards. And in fact, um, they've started reusing them and, and firing them back up and doing kind of community bread making and just teaching you know, the next uh, generation of folks how to do that. Um, Stone ovens are very finicky, as I've learned, and so it takes a lot of skill and knowledge to uh, fire it up and keep it at the right temperature and, you know, get the nice crust going on the outside and but keep it nice and, you know, soft and fluffy on the inside. And it, it takes a lot of skill that has to be passed down. But, um, you know, overall, it's it's neat to see this sort of revival. Now, to Denise's question about sort of this this movement around the country about, you know, racial justice and um, talking about all of that. The same thing is happening in Hawaii, but it, it's different. We we have a smaller, you know, African American population, so it's that's maybe not the lens that a lot of folks here see it in. But we have a, a very large Native Hawaiian community that I think feels that they've gotten the short end of the stick on a lot of things, and um, their concerns have been ignored. And it's interesting because a lot of the leaders who have stepped up within the Native Hawaiian movement are are Portuguese, and their last names are Portuguese. Um, they have maybe a long Hawaiian name, but their last name is um, Sousa, or in, in our case, one of the leaders of um, the protests against uh, one of the new telescopes on Mauna Kea is uh, a hula teacher, and uh, his last name is Nevis, um, Paul Nevis, but he is uh, one of the vocal you know, uh, leaders of the Hawaiian community there. And it's, it's really interesting to see how they've really just seamlessly incorporated uh, being Hawaiian, but also being proud of, of their other, um, the heritage that they carry with them. So that's kind of a neat thing that's happened. It's a, it's a great model to follow. You know, oftentimes Denise and I talk about the need for the Portuguese community, at least here in California and, you know, perhaps other states to form alliances with other ethnic groups, uh, you know, just to, Further, whether it's a language issue, whether it's, you know, international festival or, or something to keep it going, because the, the fragmentation is hard to maintain. It's just getting harder. And it's, it's you know, it's, as we see throughout the country, clubs are dying off, festas are dying off, you know, slowly but surely. The collaboration between the Puerto Rican community and the Portuguese community there in Hawaii, I think that's the first I've ever heard of a Portuguese group collaborating with another ethnic group especially on a physical center. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how that came about and, and why you think that that particular Portuguese community was open to that? Because again, I think it's a great model for others to follow and, and hopefully will inspire more people to be a little bit more open about this type of collaboration. So I'm really curious to hear about that. Sure. Well, you know, my, my understanding of this and um, 
<laughs> the the leaders over there might might scold me if if I tell it wrong. So I'll be very careful. But um, back in the '90s, both the Portuguese community and the Puerto Rican community both wanted a cultural center, and so they approached um, one of the big landowners on Maui and said, "Hey, would you be willing to donate, you know, uh, an acre, half an acre, whatever it is, um, so we can, so we our community." can build uh, a community center. And um, that landowner, the, the short version is the landowner basically said, listen, we, we only have this one property that, that we can reasonably give. So you guys either got to figure it out or only one of you is going to get it because um, we just can't, there's not two properties that we can give up. And um, it took a long time for them to, you know, duke it out and, and fight over it and realize, well, you know, it's, it's maybe better to join up uh, versus um, only mm-hmm. one group getting it versus the other. Fundraising, of course, is a challenge. And so it's easier to, you know, if, if one group fundraises for half the thing and the other group fundraises for the other half so you can get one whole center. Um, and so it, it took a long time uh, for, for sort of the, the partnership to emerge but now they they jointly manage. And one thing that the cultural center um, there does well is they rent it out for you know kids' birthdays. They rent it That's out for idea. retirement mm-hmm. parties, um, and that helps to generate uh, some income. And um, you know a lot of other community groups, uh, community associations, rent it out in the evening. Um, and so that's, uh, I think that's one of the keys is they had a plan to generate revenue from it, so it's not just um, an empty hall most of the day. Um, it, it gets pretty frequent use. They have a commercial kitchen, so some of the food trucks will come in in the early morning and you know prep all the food for the day in the commercial kitchen and then um, take it out in the food truck. Um, so that was another neat thing that they thought about. Did you? Are both one quick question about it? Uh, and uh, if you have that knowledge, I'm sure you do. But um, are both communities older communities? Because when I mean older, I don't mean older as in. You know, uh, as in we're all over sixty-five, but um, but as a, the Portuguese community in Hawaii is an is older community. It's been there for a very, very long time. Yep. There hasn't been any immigration to Hawaii, or hardly any from any Portuguese area. Correct me if I'm wrong. In probably over fifty years, um, is yep. the Puerto Rican community the same kind, or is it a little bit of a newer community? Is it something that's been around also for as long as the Portuguese fifty, seventy it's, years? It's pretty much the same. Um, that era of of immigration right. uh, from Portugal, Puerto Rico. Even Japan was really uh, at the tail end of the 1800s and the early part of the 1900s. And then after that, the Filipinos came mm-hmm. um, from about 1908 till about 1946. Um, so that's sort of the, the newer wave. I think that there's there's some affinity, of course, between the Portuguese and the, the Puerto Ricans. Um, Especially between the islanders. The language yeah. Yeah. Um, It's very similar. Um, some of the, you know, being sort of Iberian and, and tropical too, there's, uh, a lot of the cuisine and spices and, and, you know, culture, they're both, you know, very gregarious kind of, um, uh, culture versus uh, some of the Eastern Asian, which is maybe a little bit more reserved and a lot of the same mu- musical instruments. So there's, there's definitely a cultural affinity here in Honolulu, the Portuguese Genealogical Society um, that I mentioned before, that my grandma volunteered for for many years, um, they also hold all of the Puerto Rican records. Um, and uh, so, so I think there is sort of a natural affinity there um, that was either deliberate or maybe, you know, maybe just sort of came along 
just because they were all friends and sure, you know yeah. one group saw the other group getting something started yeah. um yeah. and it's um they're all islanders there's there's a difference yeah, there i mean that's true they uh the puerto ricans have some of the same issues well before they became part of the united states there's some of the same issues with spain that port that the yeah. had with mainland <laughs> portugal uh so uh, that there's kind of an affinity that's built through there but my point when asking that question and i know angel knows where i was headed is because i think as you separate from immigrants to second and third generation mm -hmm. it's easier to build those bridges the immigrant wants to be only portuguese and that's it and there's nothing else in the world and unfortunately sometimes they pass that on to their children but their great their grandchildren and great-grandchildren already have a very very different view and so um that makes all the sense in the world that it was that they're both immigrated around the same time and so they have the same issues and they've they were able to bridge, as Angela pointed out, uh, asked in the question you pointed out, that they were able to bridge these interests to come together in something that's good for both communities. That one community couldn't yeah. do it by themselves. That's fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, kind of building off that concept, um, you know, you mentioned that now I think six members of the board of the chamber are 35 or younger. How, what are some of the I guess new things or changes, or whether it's mentality. What, what are, how are you seeing the community change as, as a result of some of the younger people getting involved? And maybe maybe it's a new type of event. You know, you mentioned a wine tasting, but uh, but again, I, I'm I'm feeling like through this conversation, there's a lot that the rest of our community can learn from Hawaii and and the work that you guys have done. So I'm just curious. Yeah, and and you know, and then piggybacking off of that question, how has the older generation responded to that? Are they happy to see that? Has there been a little bit of, oh, you know, our old ways are going away, but you know, they're happy to see something continue, right? Because it's either evolve or die, um, as you know, it's ha kind of happening all over. So I'm just I'm just curious if you can explain how the younger generation has affected the community in the last few years. Yeah, so I think. Um uh, doing doing new events has been kind of neat. It's it's been new events in addition to all of the more traditional ones, and I think that's a really key distinction. You know, this isn't to replace anything else we're doing, but just to add a new dimension. Um, so there's a wine tasting. We also, prior to the pandemic, um, had planned to do um, a number of events when the Sagres, the uh, the Navy ship from Portugal, uh, was going to stop here. It was actually scheduled to be in uh, next week. Um, but surrounding that, we're going to have uh, a number of events planned, um, and we're going to have a big festival. And I think that the, those long-standing—it's easy to add sort of a new event and a new tradition, right? Uh, it's the wine tasting is easy to add, but the, the festival has been done this way for so many years, and this has been the formula. And so, changing that has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, I think one thing that the younger board members have been able to add is just a connection to uh, different uh, facets of the community. That's not to say that the older folks weren't connected, but they've, they always approach the same people to ask for, for uh, financial help or sponsorship. And um, our new board members are, are able to reach out to a different group. And so one of the things, again, pre-pandemic, when we planned to do our 2020 FESTA was we were thinking of doing it in a different location. Um, there's this new part of Honolulu is being redeveloped and there's sort of a new shopping center and, and new buildings uh, being built in that. The, the developer of, of that area was is very interested in, in bringing community members in. So we said, okay, well, maybe we should have it there. 
um, they built this beautiful kind of open area that um, you can rent out. And um, we're, we're hoping you are that, brave new yeah, location for a festival. Yeah, exactly. Holy yeah. Oh man. <laughs> um, but I think people realize, you know, maybe it's worth changing it up and mm-hmm. um, parking parking is a lot easier there. Um, that's mm-hmm. always been a challenge uh, at previous festival locations, but you know, bring people in, get, um, get in the media a lot. I think the, you know, younger board members, um, several of them have a background in kind of communication since they've, um, been able to one. get a little bit more attention. Um, one thing that we also wanted to do before the pandemic was um, get some sponsors for an exhibition of uh, influential Portuguese uh, in Hawaii um, over the years. And so just a little, you know, uh, a picture of them and kind of a description of what they did. Like we mentioned earlier in the show, there are a lot of um, important, you know, Portuguese folks who you might not know are Portuguese. Um, maybe their last name is Japanese or, or Chinese or, you know, s- some other group. And so you wouldn't know, but we wanted to showcase that and, and make people feel proud, um, that, you know, we had a champion surfer, the father of modern surfing. He, he's very proud to be Portuguese, although his last name is, uh, I- English. You know, we had uh, a champion, uh, boxer in the 1950s, I mean, world champion. Um, but his last name is Swedish, but he's half Portuguese. Um, we have, you know, uh, lots of other folks who you might not know. And that's, that was something we want to showcase. So we're going to raise some money for that. And I think the, so the, going back to the main question, the younger folks are, are a lot um, more adept to kind of reaching out to new, new resources maybe, um, and, and bringing them home into the Portuguese community. I wanted to bring it back a little bit. I know that we're running out of time, but just uh, real quick, bring it back to the honorary consul bit uh, because we talked very briefly about it. Yeah. You know, full disclosure, I'm also one here in California in Tulare, so we have that in common. But uh, um, and, um, and my questions may be biased, but that's okay. Uh, we're all biased in the world, uh, one way or another. We we try not to be. Uh, the um, a little bit of, uh, about that. I think that, of course, um, the positions are all different in that we are all in different communities. Uh, and I was wondering what some of your major things that you have been involved in uh, since you've been uh, nominated and approved to be Honorary Consul of Portugal for Hawaii. And, and prefacing it by saying that, you know, here, for example, we still have an immigrant community in California and, and many other areas uh, throughout the U.S. where there are honorary consuls. And so we have issues like, you know, we, our hands are tied. We can't even sign a piece of paper. You know, because some people are waiting for their um, retirement check from Portugal and it has to go to San Francisco. You know, it has to be put in the mail. It takes, you know, three weeks, you know, four weeks. Uh, you know, so we have a lot of these issues with an immigrant community that obviously you don't have in, in, in Hawaii. So I want to know what some of the issues are. And if you're having the issue that I'm having also, <laughs> I mean, I could we could stay here an hour and a half and I could list a bunch of issues. <laughs> but uh, we uh, the issue that I'm having and my colleagues here in California, there are any consuls have as well, um, which is the uh, constant questions, and they're good, uh, from folks who want to be Portuguese citizens and from folks who may be half Portuguese, uh, from, but you know, their grandfather obviously has to be either their parents or their grandparents. And I know there's not that many there. There's a lot of the younger generation, it's their great, great grandparents. But is there any interest? Because that's, I mean, I get, you know, basically anywhere between, and I'm not exaggerating at all, uh, I'm actually being very conservative, uh, eight to 10 questions a week about uh, folks who, uh, most of them, their grandparents were immigrants, or one grandparent was an immigrant from Portugal, and they want to become citizens. So tell me a little bit about what some of the issues that you have that you've been dealing with, and if the citizen question is even in play there. That's the biggest one. And okay. um, 
that that is the absolutely no question the number one um, issue that that comes uh, into my email box from people, um, and they say, well, you know, my my grandfather came from Madeira. How do I become a Portuguese citizen? And it's you know there, there's a long checklist, and they need to get all their documents together. Um, the one challenge that we have is there is a little bit of a language requirement. Yeah, which, um, I, which I don't understand. It should not be there. Anyway, <laughs> that that's my that's my two point bits to 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 pressure uh, the Portuguese government to get rid of the language requirement because <laughs> because uh, all the other countries, Israel, for example, does not. I mean, uh, it's oh, just, interesting. Yeah, yeah. A, um, lot of, a lot of other countries don't have the issue of the language because they yeah. understand. You know, right. I think the challenge is that that language part is the thing that trips people up. So they either have to enroll for maybe a semester and audit, you know, a class. Um, but all the professors uh, you know, or many of the, the teachers uh, will teach you Brazilian Portuguese, which is fine. But, um, you know, they, they want to learn Portuguese, Portuguese. From, from a data. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that too. And, and it's it's funny because the, you know, their grandparents maybe spoke at home. And so it it was this very insular island kind of dialect and it's it's very different than you know what the professors might teach um sure. and and anyway that that's neither here nor there but uh, the, the main question is uh citizenship um through your grandparents um I, I occasionally do get some paperwork requests um maybe people you know are, are married to a, a portuguese spouse or they come to hawaii um, to get married because it is, you know, obviously a, a very attractive wedding destination. And so they have to get their um, certificate here, you know, certified and with Apostille. And um, I, I can help facilitate with that. Um, let's see, other issues that, that come up from time to time. Uh, sometimes people inquire about um, uh, immigration records because in at that time, the, the Portuguese consul um, kept a lot of those records. Uh, of course, those don't exist today. At least I don't have them. Um, so I refer them to the you know genealogy society or the state archives. Um, and then a lot of the the rest of the job is sort of ceremonial. Um, Hawaii being uh, sort of an international crossroads, there are probably about forty different countries that are represented, either with uh, an honorary consul or a, a paid diplomatic uh, consul. Um, and so it's kind of neat to get together with them when, when we were allowed to get together, um, we would have, uh, you know, lunch every month and, and have, a and just, you know, chat, uh, all the European consuls would, would chat amongst each other. And that was kind of fun. So what about, uh, inquiries about property? Uh, Palkis actually gets a lot of, um, inquiries about, you know, I'm either, Yes, I've inherited property, or I know that my my parents own property, and they need to, you know, they need a good lawyer to help facilitate a transition, that sort of thing. Do you get over, or maybe there's, you know, property in Hawaii that has ties to Portugal? I don't know. Do you ever get those types of questions? Occasionally, um, maybe once once a month, or maybe every other month, someone will kind of mention something like that, and um, mm -hmm. there's. There's definitely a process there. They need to get their power of attorney, you know, uh, figured out and drafted and um, signed and get all those ducks in a row. So that's a little bit more complicated, but it does come up for exactly, you know, what you describe is, you know, there's some inheritance, maybe some portion of it, um, or they have to share it among their cousins. But yeah, people do ask. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really wonderful. You know, those ties continue 
um, between the Portuguese from Hawaii and uh, the Portuguese over there. In fact, in Madeira, there's a, uh, a sort of a tiki bar that is open. It's Hawaii themed. Um, and so people in Madeira <laughs> are kind of rediscovering the fact that um, Hawaii was a place that a, a lot of their, you know, second or third cousins ended up uh, going to. And um, hopefully through technology, we can kind of reclaim that and, um, you know, get to know the folks back in the old country, so to speak, and they can get to know us too. Right. <clears throat> well, we have reached our time, um, but we'd love to, you know, just give you another minute or so that um, if you have a message for our listeners, either about the community in Hawaii or perhaps encouraging folks to become more involved, anything like that. Um, if you have a message for our listeners, we'd love to. Yeah. Well, for, for all the listeners throughout the U.S., when it is safe to travel um, and you test negative, please come to Hawaii, <laughs> uh, come visit us. Um, and you will see, you know, traces of the Portuguese everywhere you go um, in ways you might not even notice. But um, the food, you can go to McDonald's and order breakfast and there's a Portuguese sausage plate. Um, you know, you can drive around and every, you know, potluck that we go to, somebody is bound to bring a malsada or, um, you know, some other Portuguese dish. Um, everywhere you go, there's ukulele people playing music and a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the older buildings in downtown Honolulu were built by Portuguese masons. And so see a little bit of the stonework, um, around. And, and so please come, please come visit us. And, um, when you check into your hotel mention, you know, you're part Portuguese and I'm sure somebody behind the desk will, you know, connect <laughs> with you. Maybe you'll get a, a little upgrade or a mint on your pillow or something, but, um, <laughs> there's, uh, Portuguese are everywhere here. And you'll find that. And um, that's something to celebrate. That's great. And Angela, if I can just clarify one thing, because I don't want to leave anything up in a year. When we talked about the issue with the language of four grandchildren, I know we, should, we, we, Palkas has done lots of work and we'll continue to do lots of work around the citizenship question. And because as um, I w it was, you know, I was curious to find out and thank you, Tyler, for letting us know, because that's, I, I believe that any honorary consul in the United States today, that's the number one question that we get. You know, I want to become a citizen of Portugal because of the European Union uh, contact um, and the Portuguese pa passport. And, and right now, you know, the U.S. passport can get into a lot of countries and the Portuguese passport can. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, but one of the issues that I meant when I mentioned it's kind of unfair, uh, I wanted to clarify that uh, if uh, uh, to the those who are grandchildren of immigrants, it's because children of immigrants can become uh, citizens without the language test. And I've known quite a mm -hmm. few of them that can't speak a word of Portuguese, okay? Mm -hmm. Their parents came over when they were like one and a half. They don't speak a word of Portuguese, but they did not ask for a language test. But the grandchildren are asked. So I think uh, my perspective, and I've told this to the Portuguese entities that I've spoken to in Portugal, uh, my friends uh, that I have in some of the political parties, that I think it is uh, discriminatory. And so um, that's one of the reasons why I think if Portugal really does want, it's important I ask for such as you mentioned there in Hawaii, these wonderful examples. I mean, you may not speak Portuguese, but my heart, my gosh, your heart is Portuguese. And so, mm -hmm. and, and, and your soul is Portuguese you know, and what, and you're at, and you're acting, um, as, and you're, you know, and, and you're promoting Portugal, uh, whether you're one quarter Portuguese, half or, mm -hmm. or, or three quarters. And, and so if you want to have the Portuguese passport, uh, I think you should have it in regardless of the language issue. I just wanted to clarify that. Then. So thank you so much. Sure. No problem. Thanks for that. And it's a great point. Maybe a, a topic for another podcast. That's right. For sure. <laughs> 
Well, thank you, Tyler. You're doing awesome work and we're so proud to have you on our team. Um, your community is very lucky to have you. So keep up the great work. We'll be in touch. And um, like, like you said, everybody go visit Hawaii when it's, when the doors are open again. I know it's first on our list. Personally, my family, we, we've been like, when can we go? When can we go? When can we go? So yeah, Hawaii. Um, we, we love Hawaii. Our, our university president, Joseph Castro, is uh, having a tough time this year because he spends 10 days in Hawaii every single summer. And it's, um, I, uh, and, uh, and, and it actually, it is interesting to go see the Portuguese connections, Angela was mentioning, not just, you know, mm-hmm. not just a place to go where it has the you know, wonderful water, wonderful beach, but also to see the Portuguese connection. And I, I have a fond place for in my heart for Hawaii, my, grandchild, my grandchild, my eldest and my only uh, boy grandchild uh, was born in Hawaii. And so, uh, yeah, he's a Hawaiian and he tells that to everybody. <laughs> uh, he was he was only born there. He was only there for less than a year, but he says he's Hawaiian and that's great. That's awesome. Well, um, thanks again, Tyler. And um, we will be in touch for sure. And uh, thanks, Danish, for your time as always. Thank you to our listeners who spent another 45 minutes with us listening to the important conversation, getting to know our um, Portuguese Americans in public service. If you haven't hit subscribe, please do so now and leave us a review on iTunes or on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, because it helps others find the conversation and it's important for as many of us to be a part of this uh, conversation as possible. So um, with that, we'll say thanks again, everybody. And have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus.palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus. Politicus is made possible through the support of the Luso-American Development Foundation.